Let us pray. Loving God, whatever star has brought us into this place, whatever light we need to illumine in our hearts and in our lives, we ask for that here in this place, that you may shine your light on this ancient story, that it may speak to us still today. And may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts be truly acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. If you joined us in Advent for our midweek Thursday worship in the chapel, you know that we told the stories of the angels coming to Elizabeth and Zechariah about the birth of John the Baptist, <coughs> to Mary about the birth of Jesus, to Joseph in a dream to accept his fiancée's pregnancy, and also finally to the shepherds out in the fields. Now, the thing about Scripture oftentimes is when we read it, it is so compact that we have very little understanding of the details or the emotions that might have been involved. It does not always read like great literature. It reads more like an accounting of some fantastic things. And so we did this practice, this Jewish practice of midrash, where we imaginatively retell the story, trying to blow up the story a little bit and fill in the gaps between the lines. And so this morning I would like to do that as we think about the Magi and their significance in this story that we retell over and over. Now there's a lot we don't know about the Magi. We have been given lots of poetic license with them from people as diverse as Longfellow, T.S. Eliot, and singer James Taylor, all about what they were like. But nowhere in Matthew does it say they were three kings on camels coming from the east, as the image on your order of worship might suggest. One of my favorite preachers put it, puts it this way, it's not that the facts don't matter, it's just that they don't matter as much as the stories do. And stories can be true whether they happen or not. You do not have to do archaeology to find out if they are genuine, or spend years in the library combing ancient texts, although I will say those are certainly worthy pursuits. There is another road home. You just listen to the story. You let it come to life inside of you, and then you decide on the basis of your own tears or laughter whether the story is true. And if you are in any doubt, it's always a good idea to watch the other people around you who have listened to the story. Just pay attention to how the story affects them over time. Does it make them more or less human? Does it open them up or shut them down? Does it increase their capacity for joy? With that, I offer you this midrash, this story. None of us really knows who saw the star first. Some say it was a group of children playing out under the Milky Way one night. Another say it was an old widow looking wistfully out her window, remembering the dances she had attended as a young woman, and wondering how the new flower bulbs might come up in the spring. Many of us astronomer types like to say it was one of us, hunkering down at our telescopes, looking for new planets or galaxies, or as we often did, just taking in the wonder 
of the brilliantly complex night skies. In the end, I guess it doesn't matter who saw the star first. It matters only that we saw it, and more importantly, that we followed it. We had been needing a star in those days. Our people had been feeling lost, abandoned, decades of bad rulers, unremitting wars, marauding raiders across the countryside. Our people had survived well enough, but there was plenty of panic, plenty of trauma, plenty of uncertainty. So much so that we found ourselves longing, hoping for something better. And as you can imagine, the collective morale all around us was decimated. Some people had given up hope that there ever would be a better again. Now you should know that it is our regular practice to study the heavens carefully, studiously, religiously, one would say. We always find them to be the map, the guideposts for what the Great One might be doing in our midst. We believe that the map of heaven will help us find our way here on earth. And we are constantly looking to the skies for answers. We find that it broadens our experience of this life. It opens us up to new possibilities. It takes us out of the smallness of our earthbound lives and releases our souls to the possibilities of the universe. So when we began to watch this star and notice its rising, its strange, steadfast position in the sky, we knew that it was one of those once-in-a-generation kind of things, maybe a once-in-a-century-or-two kind of thing. For you cannot just ignore the stars. They are up there, placed in the heavens by the Great One, so that you can pay attention, so that you will feel beckoned forward to something important, something greater, even better, than what you imagined. A star such as the one we saw requires your trust, it requires your faithfulness, your willingness to trudge forward against all sorts of rational counter-arguments. What about the crops? What about the children's schooling? What about the social and religious commitments you have coming up? What about your poor mother's bad back? Who will take care of her? You see, none of that matters quite as much when you see the star. Absolutely, we made sure that people took care of the crops and the school and the children and the elders, all the regular commitments. Not all of us would be following the star. Some of us would stay behind, but enough of us would go forward. Now, I've heard that people say there were three of us and that we were kings or something like that, riding regally on camels. That's very nice, but it's not how it was. Even Matthew's account was fairly vague. We were described as magi, wise people from the East, and that's very nice too. We aspire to be wise people. But there were actually more like a couple dozen of us making the trip, some elders and children among us, all of us strong enough for the journey. We had a camel and a donkey and enough food and water for days, some weapons just in case, but we knew we could trust the deep hospitality of this region and the ever-present kindness of strangers to see us through. Now, I should say that we didn't know we were setting out to find a baby in Bethlehem, at least not when we started the journey. All we know is that the star remained bright and steady to the west of it, us, and we needed 
to follow it. Our wisest astronomer, named Melchior, kept checking the astronomical journals. At night, several of us would take turns peering into the two telescopes we had brought with us, and sure enough, the star would be there, bright and strong and elusive, beckoning us with a clear, unmitigating power. As we made our way westward, we had all sorts of unexpected adventures. A sudden, powerful rainstorm on the second day delayed us for several hours, soaking some of us to the bone. It took nearly a day for us to dry everything out and make sure we were whole again. On the fifth or sixth day, we encountered a lovely innkeeper who made room in her barn, and there were plenty of farmers and shepherds along the way who welcomed us into their fields, almost always brewing a pot of tea for the whole lot of us, sharing their bread or mutton or lentils. On the second week, we found ourselves being trailed by a pack of jackals, beginning to circle and round us up. The warriors among us frightened them off, shedding not one drop of blood. And there were some steep hills we hadn't expected that slowed us down, but we remembered to take our time, not to rush this journey, to notice the landscape along the way, the quality of the wind and the songs it sang, to keep our eyes on the star, which we could still see very clearly in the early morning and late afternoon hours. Most significantly, we met a blind oracle, an eccentric sage somewhere in the desert regions. We could not tell if the sage were male or female. He or she sat with us for several hours before dinner and told us of the mysteries of the region, the ancestors who had settled and moved on, the, the ways you could grow crops even in the driest land, the songs of the sand, the moon, and the stars, the strange communal ways of the desert animals, in the parched landscape. As we got ready to eat, the oracle said something very crucial. I know you were following that star, which we wondered how could this be because the sage was blind and we hadn't spoken of it. The sage continued, go to Bethlehem and find a babe and his parents near a stable. The babe is named Yeshua and he will be the new king of Israel. And then, before any of us could digest this prophecy, the sage was gone, just as quickly as she or he had arrived. By the time we reached Jerusalem, our curiosity and imagination had run ahead of us, and we were delighted to lay eyes on the lively city, the temple rising ominously within the walls. We began asking people about Yeshua and Bethlehem, but people, of course, knew nothing about it as they went around their daily business, bustling in the markets and scraping an existence in the crowded corners of this holy capital. When some scribes heard that we were searching for the new king of Israel, they began interrogating us rather forcefully, wanting to know where we had heard of such a thing. Where were we from? What were our intentions? Where were we staying and who did we know in the region? And so we went on and met with King Herod before us, who surprised us. He was not the mighty and great king they had suggested he would be. In fact, he had eyes sort of like a scared reptile. And it became clear to us as we talked to him that he lived inside a temple of fear, with many altars around to his own frail ego. 
And somehow he had built palaces of power around that temple of fear. When he heard that we were searching for a king, he immediately became obsequious and started fawning all over us, asking us questions. What did we think of the drapes and these books? What should we do about the Judeans? We, of course, looked at him blankly, for we had no opinions about these things. And so then he said to us, go right away to Bethlehem and find this new king. And after you've found him, come back to me and let me know the whereabouts so I can go and pay homage. And thus we went. It took us only about a half day to get to Bethlehem. And once we were there, only a few hours to find the couple. They were no longer in the stable we had heard about, but staying in the home of some friends of friends. The father had found some work as a handyman, and we entered, overjoyed, to finally see this baby who was sweet and graceful and calm with a strong presence, we immediately bowed down to him as was our tradition and our intent. And then we took turns holding him, this warm, wonderful life in our arms, breathing and cooing, smelling like a new baby. And we gave our gifts. We had costly perfumes of frankincense and myrrh. We also had some gold. We also gave some jewelry and some blankets from our sheep, some lentils and goat cheese, and some blessings that had been written by our people for the journey. We gave them all to the family, who seemed astonished by all these gifts, and yet with a great humility, assuring us that this child was in the right hands to be raised. We stayed a couple of nights, actually some of us staying in the exact stable where the child had been born, and three of us, yes, three of us, had the exact same dream, which was to go home by a different way. Which really makes sense when you think about it, because once you've seen a star and followed it to its rightful conclusion, you can never go back home the same way again. You have to try something new. It has to be different. And so that's what we did. We didn't hear much about that child for many years. Eventually, some word reached us about his preaching and teaching and healing, particularly in the region of the Galilee. But we knew deep in our bones, deep in our souls, that he would change the world. That billions upon billions of people and generations would be changed by his presence. Be encouraged no longer to live in a temple or fear or a palace of power. That real power came from the way in which our hearts are transformed to love and kindness and compassion. And all of us had a really great story about what it means when you follow a star and how you might be changed in the process. And for that, we are forever grateful. Amen.